You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Adam. Welcome to day 249 and 250. Woo! We are getting awfully close to 100 days from the end here. Yes, we are. That's amazing. We are talking through the scriptures, Old and New Testaments, following a read through the Bible in a year program that's found on some app on your phone. It's pretty great. Mm-hmm. And we are simply talking through it. I really enjoyed it thus far. Let's get into it. We are in the thick of, because I'd say 10 chapters, into uh, the great and lengthy prophet yes. Isaiah. Our Old Testament reading for today is Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20 through chapter 16. Mm. Mm. So let's finish up chapter 10. What do you say? Yeah, so chapter 10, uh, Isaiah is basically announcing that there will be judgment on Assyria, that even though Assyria seems, will seem strong and unstoppable, that one day they will fall and that there will always be a remnant of God's people that will survive and be returned back to the land. And that's the important part of the story is that in light of, and this is what Isaiah does such a good job of, right? Mm -hmm. He's announcing uh, judgment and then he announces grace and Mm -hmm. it's like law and gospel, law and gospel. So he says, don't worry, Assyria will pay for their crimes. Mm -hmm. They're not like pure in all this. Yeah, even though God was using them or ca- using them to mete out his justice, they get carried away. Mm-hmm. But don't worry, there'll always be a remnant. Yes. And uh, there will be an end to <coughs> suffering. Mm-hmm. So, uh, mm-hmm. so it kind of shows like, look, the enemy is taking a direct route right to Judah because there's all these well, lists. Of- yeah, so this is really cool. So this is kind of happens later with uh, Sennacherib. And go- Sennacherib. Yeah, whatever. Sennacherib. Uh, I've heard it both ways. Sennacherib yeah. sounds like some kind of little baby Raphael angel, like playing uh-huh. a harp. It's uh-huh. not cherub. Sennacherib. Uh-huh. I mean, Sennacherib. we're both saying it in English, which is ridiculous. Because right. this is in some other exactly. language. Exactly. So it's okay. Sennacherib. All right, all right. Um, Forgiven. So, yeah, they have in 28 uh, through 32 this steady march towards Jerusalem. Like, they're coming straight towards Jerusalem, straight for us. And then it it ends with, uh, he will shake his fist at the mount of the daughter of Zion. But behold, the Lord of God, the Lord, the God of hosts, uh, will lop off the bows with terrifying power. And so (laughs) that's what happens is he gets right up, threatens, makes all those claims against God Mm -hmm. uh, with Hezekiah. And the Lord brings rumors and stuff into the camp and they end up having to flee and retreat and they never even get to Jerusalem. So I just have to remember this is before Hezekiah. So we're in the days of Ahaz. Ahaz, And so while things are kind of going well under an evil king, Mm Isaiah is saying bad days are coming. We will see those days under Hezekiah. Yes. And that's what it's referencing. So the cool thing about Isaiah is he's making kind of prophetic um, he's, he's actually giving us prophecies of coming judgment, which they will see, mm-hmm. and coming victories, which they will also see. Yes. And right now, that was about Assyria. Mm-hmm. So then in chapter 11, beautiful section about yeah. the family tree, right? Like mm-hmm. this, the righteous reign of the branch. Yes. And so a shoot from the stump of Jesse will uh, 
will emerge from what looks like a dried up dead stump. As mm-hmm. I was driving around yesterday, I saw some stumps that have been kind of dead for years. And I was thinking of Isaiah, like, oh, man, I get it. The people of God look uh, just dead, cut down, forgotten. It's time to move on. There's no longer a tree there. But God always has a remnant. And that's just the mm-hmm. good news for us, right? So like where in areas of our life where it seems like I don't deserve any forgiveness, it doesn't deserve to, to be turned around, it's as good as dead, there's always hope. We maintain our hope as the people of God. Yeah, so we, in chapter 11, we get this very clear reference to Jesus Christ and the sevenfold spirit yeah. resting upon him. I know, that was the cool. The spirit of the Lord, spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And it's just an amazing, awesome description of Christ. And, his, <clears throat> his, and it even kind of throws to the armor, like the righteous, mm-hmm. his righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, the faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it... it I like, I like the fact that um, God often will mention His delight in us. I don't know if you imagine yeah. God being delighted with you. The way you delight in something like, I love our little dog. I just mm-hmm. delight in our little dog. Yesterday, Lacey, she goes out for a walk, and then she comes back in. My wife takes her out, and she always makes a beeline right to me, and then jumps on my leg, and I, I pet her. Yesterday, she was running right to me, but I was in the kitchen, and she got sidetracked by smells of dropped food or something. And starts like looking around for food. And I was like, oh, she's not giving me her little love. But then after she got that out of her system, she found me and did it. I was like, oh, I love this dog so much. And I don't even mind that she got a little bit diverted with scraps (laughs) on the floor. (laughs) Uh, It just reminded me of me Hmm. with God. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so the idea is he delights. He's totally strong. And he's the perfect ruler. Yes. That's what that's saying. Yeah. And then it kind of finishes up with like, what his reign will bring. In that day. <clears throat> yeah. Is the phrase that keeps repeating. Mm-hmm. In that day when he is finally crowned king of kings, mm-hmm. this perfect ruler, which we know, of course, we're looking back through the lens of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I just realized like all nations under God will be totally blessed as they seek the root of Jesse. Right. For, wait for it, the thing all the kings have been working for for the last several hundred years a united, a reunited kingdom. Mm. Mm-hmm. All the obstacles will become an easy path. Nothing will stop this plan of God to reunite his people under one king, which does put in perspective like Jesus Christ, the king of kings, all nations under one king. This is our only shot for peace, personally yes. and corporately, globally. Mm-hmm. Chapter 12. <clears throat> is a, there's just like a sweet little, almost like a psalm or proverb. Uh, yeah, just chapter 12. I think the chapter 12 is a response mm-hmm. to what he's just said. And even Isaiah himself is like, this is good. Mm-hmm. I need to just stop. Have you ever done that? Just stop and have like, I'm going to give thanks. This is so yeah. great. Yes. When you read something or you hear something happens, you're like, let's go out for dinner. This is a let's go out for dinner and celebrate moment. And, uh, and so chapter 12 is this really beautiful psalm, singing praises to the Lord, shouting and joying and, and shouting and singing for joy. Mm-hmm. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. So that's all of chapter 12. Kind of a nice response to the prophecy of Christ. Mm-hmm. A new exodus is coming. You notice how even in these songs it never says, um, now let's pray that we don't have to get ransacked by Assyria. 
or help us to <clears throat> get around this horrible thing. It's always right. like, okay, great is the Lord who's going to lead us through Ooh, the 400 one. years of slavery in Egypt. Right. So it is kind of a, at this point in time, they're, they're too far and there needs to be some correction. And right. so the correction will come and it will happen, but the Lord will be with us through it all and restore us. And that's always the hope. And so you can kind of get Isaiah's like line of thinking here. Mm-hmm. So he just rejoices in that because uh, the people of God have just been dealt with. Yes. So it's bad news, good news, kind of bad news. You're gonna, uh, bad news is you're going to all be destroyed. The good news is I'm going to send you a leader mm-hmm. and you're going to be, it's going to be good. Bad news is you're going to suffer it. The good news is this leader is going to reign forever and ever and be awesome. Right. Let's rejoice. Now, I know what you're thinking, people of God. Well, what about all the other nations? Like the nations, because that's what I would be thinking. Mm-hmm. Like, the, mm-hmm. how come those godless people get to just ransack us and we have to have this hope? What about them? Well, don't worry. Yeah, don't worry. Chapters 13 through 16 are going to cover all your bases. Well, actually, chapters 13 through 23 yeah, actually. will actually cover all our bases. We're going to 16, though. Actually? Actually? There used to be a neighbor kid who'd always... We're going to be actual about this. We had a neighbor kid who was so smart, and every time you'd mm-hmm. say something like, yeah, we're going to go to uh, the grocery store. Actually, it's a pharmacy or something like that. And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, all right. So that became a joke in our house. Perfect. Actually? And you just did it. So you're the joke. Huh. Wow. <laughs> our next episode will be working through conflict. Matt. In chapter 13. Matt, the Oracle Matt just of- leaves. <laughs> I knew you would do that. Let's talk about uh, what's going to happen to our neighbors who have been uh, destroying us. The Oracle of Judgment on? Okay. It says Babylon. Yes. It means Assyria. Because Babylon's not really the powerhouse yet. Yes. So the Babylon that we know and understand and love under the great rule of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, or Nebuchadnezzar, however you would say Let's call him Nebi. Uh, The good old Nebi pot. Uh... <laughs> so this is still talking about Assyria, specifically under the rule of Sargon II. Nice. So, essentially, here's how I broke it all down. I mean, yes. we could break down all the the chapters. Beautiful language and uh, lots of destruction. Um, but essentially, it's God is going to take care of Assyria. Yes. He's gonna He's gonna handle them. Their time is up. They were used, and it's up. Uh, Assyria is going to take care of the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Like, they're going to wipe out the Philistines. Right. Time's up. And there'll be a time for Moab, but Moab's so intermixed with Israel mm-hmm. yeah, that it's so m- mixed up that it's going <clears throat> to get thrashed. But there'll be some survivors from Moab because some of their people are so closely related and in geography and in, in actual relation, in, in actual yeah, blood that there there's going to be some of Moab that actually turns and comes under the the protection of God, turn yeah. from their idolatry. So their issue is more idolatry, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Philistines, Assyria, they're just getting thrashed for their straight up Rebellion. aggression against God's yes. people. Uh, so specifically, there's some intense stuff in uh, yeah the Babylon-Assyria line, mm-hmm. and it does describe the fall of King Sargon, which has not happened yet and right. will not happen for a little bit. Uh, okay. He 
it's really interesting in chapter 14, and it's this really cool poetic language of how he has called himself the... He set himself up as God of the universe. Lord of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yes, Sargon has called himself that. And then you realize that um, he still is kind of the acting Lord of the universe to the people in that region at this time when Isaiah's writing this. Yeah. And so his prophecy is, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps. Mm-hmm. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers. How you <clears> are a... F- how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son mm-hmm. of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You who said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. And then he goes on and basically he says, you will, um, you will topple. You will topple. And not only topple, but you will die in dishonor and you will not even get a proper burial. So give them the real story. So the real story is Sargon... What, here's how it happened. Sargon II had, uh, this, or the second, had a really great reign and had amassed the most power any king at that time had amassed. And he did. he ended up dying in a way that was super rare for powerhouse kings to go out. Which was in battle. Yeah, disgraceful, actually. Yeah, because you, as a as a king or as an emperor of that large of a territory, you would not be out in the thick of battle, and so he actually died in battle, and was the, his body was unable to be retrieved and just was rotting out in the sun. So that's disgraceful. In the field of war. But another reason that's even more disgraceful is that. Uh, you might remember watching things about um, Exodus or how pharaohs thought of themselves. Mm-hmm. All these kings saw themselves as the sons of God. They yes. saw themselves as the go-between heaven and earth. That mm-hmm. they were, and even today, like in Korea, North Korea, you know, they they think the leader is a part has a special connection to God, mm-hmm. and that's why they're the leader of yes. the people. And so it's even more disgraceful when this leader dies in such a, such a way. Like as a common soldier. Right, and they, they don't have room in there because there is no resurrection, there is no plan of pain for the mm-hmm. sins of people. So that mm-hmm. is straight up scandalous and awful. To the point that his son, Sennacherib? Yeah, sure, that guy. Sennacherib wouldn't even identify himself with his father. Right. So, here's why this is all important. You might be asking yourself, why are you telling us this? Because if you, if you can recall, Jesus says to about Satan, mm-hmm. he kind of references that you've fallen from heaven. Yes. I saw Satan falling from heaven. He references this chapter. So, in my past, I've looked up this chapter and I read that verse, how you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. And I'm like, oh, is this the origin story of Satan? Is this of how, where Satan kind of comes from and what he did. And, mm-hmm. and what you learn in our context, here's the truth, is that the stories of Assyria, the stories of the surrounding nations, they always have stories about battles in heaven. Mm-hmm. And um, they have stories about their leaders being connected and, and things like that. And Jesus is not referencing this because it's referencing the origin story of Satan. He's referencing this because this is how all leaders fall. This is what it seems like when they fall. This is the myth. This is the story <coughs> that they were like. And actually, hmm. I was reading too, like Lucifer is actually kind of a term for um, 
think Venus or yes. S- Venus. Yes. And it's just like seeing a shooting star. Right. Like you were above everybody, and it's a reference to how governments topple, mm-hmm. how uh, powers of darkness fall. And so Sargon was a power of darkness. So Isaiah is not giving the origin story to God. He's actually using the stories around him to say Sargon's going to fall, just like their stories mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. and he only he's going to fall, and you're going to find out there's only one Lord of the universe. Jesus, then, is referring back to this, saying, yeah, I'm defeating not just Sargon, but the prince of all darkness mm-hmm. like this. Yes. He's falling. He once was a bright and shining star ruling the prince of this earth, and he is falling. And so what we learn is, cool, we win. What we also need to learn and come to grips with is the Bible really doesn't give us the origin stories of Satan. Right. And so if you use this verse, what you know for sure is Satan fell, like one of these leaders, mm-hmm. and that Jesus is more powerful. Yes. But I, for a long time, was trying to figure out, is, like, is this really talking about Satan? No, it's really talking about Sargon. But can it be applied to Satan? Absolutely. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We win. We win, y'all. <clears throat> so it just continues on the destruction of Assyria, and then... Uh, then it gives a brief moment on the Philistines, and uh, at first, if you read this, you yeah. might be kind of slightly confused because he's using uh, terms like the serpent. Yeah. And at first, you're reading that, and with your you going Satan American Christian, uh, yeah, background, you're probably going, wait, wh- who the serpent? The serpent? What? If you care to even read Isaiah, right, Come right, because uh, it says. Um, the rod that you struck is broken, for from the serpent's root will come forth an adder, and its fruit will be a flying, fiery serpent. And so it is not talking about Satan. It's actually talking about the uh, reign and rule of Christ. And it's just comparing to him, like, what, yeah. what looked like a dead root is actually going to be a snake that will lead to your destruction, Philistine. Well, Philistine. Uh, Felicia. Yeah, so, I mean, everything is reversed. So, like, the rod that struck you, God is that rod. He Mm -hmm. is that branch. And that's the main thing. As you're reading this, you're realizing Isaiah is saying at a time when they don't even know there's a problem. He's like, there's huge problems. Here's what's going to go down. But over and over again, I want you to know one thing. I'm providing a, a better king from the line of David. These are the few promises I'm giving you, and you got to hold on to those through the hard times. And so Hezekiah will be greater, mm-hmm. you know, but Jesus is going to be greater <clears throat> than Hezekiah. Yeah. And you will find refuge and safety only in Jesus, yes. only in the king that comes from the line of David. And so th- this is what we hold on to. Right. So we can get really deep into all of it, um, and it's really fun, actually, and the story is amazing. But for all purposes... Yeah, we're good. We're good to uh, trust in the Lord. Keep that trust no matter what it looks like. Walk by faith, not by sight. Thanks, Isaiah. We'll talk to you next time. (laughs) I'm just going to keep adding things. Our New Testament reading for today is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 16 through chapter 9, verse 15. Sweet Paul. Uh, so, we ended with Paul last time, kind of being encouraging the Corinthians to uh, give generously yeah. 
to the um, financial aid fund. Well, Paul's hitting, he's hitting um, some pretty big concepts here. I mean, he says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, mm-hmm. so that you by his poverty might become rich. And he, he kind of hits that because he's telling everybody, uh, hey, we're all part of a bigger family now. Mm-hmm. And this is really mind-blowing for the original audience that Gentiles and Jews would help each other. They're two different people. They do their own things. The Jews said you're unclean forever, but right. now the gospel right. is saying we are all made clean by the blood of Christ, and now we're all brought into his body, and now we all take care of each other the way we take care of family. We give generously to family. Do we not? Uh, yes. Yes, we do. We don't think about it as much, and Paul's trying to say, yeah, the new ethic here, the new way we live is we're generous, especially to those in the household of the faith. I mean, we are brothers and sisters. You don't think twice. And that's what he's continuing to do uh, through chapter 8 and into to chapter 9, right? Yeah, so he's kind of being super honest and clear with them and kind of reminding them because they had promised to get money gathered up for the next go-around. Right. So when Paul or one of his guys comes back to bring the money back to Judea, that they would get a bunch of money together and give to the cause and so he's kind of reminding them hey i just want to remind you that you guys had made this commitment i've been telling the macedonians about how great your commitment is to god and christ and how he has made you so generous so i'm i just want to remind you so when we come back some of the macedonians will be with uh titus and we want to make sure that you guys are prepared for this So here's the point. He literally says, here's the point in chapter 9, verse 6. God loves a cheerful giver. Yes. He's like, that's the point. The point is, I don't want you guys to be embarrassed. Have Mm -hmm. it together. When you were full of the Holy Spirit, you said, yeah, we're going to give. And now I just want you to be ready for that. Because we make a lot of commitments in the throes of worship and emotional. We make emotional decisions. And Paul's like, those are good, led by the Holy Spirit. But uh, I want you to be ready And now let me break down kind of what that looks like. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. He's Mm -hmm. not enslaving us. He says, he has has this line about you reap what you sow. Yeah. Which I don't know if we apply this to generosity the way Paul does. But Paul's literally, Mm -hmm. quite literally saying, if you invest generously, you reap that generosity. It is like casting seed, Mm -hmm. watering that seed and growing up. So... And we're going to see how it ties into even that um, rhythm of nature. Because, well, we'll, I'll show you that in a second. Because then he goes, decide in your heart what to give. I don't want you to give reluctantly. You decided what you'd give to your brothers. Give cheerfully. Why? Because God loves a cheerful giver. Then he says, God will make it work. Like, it doesn't matter how much or how little. Like, it's the widow's might. Mm -hmm. That God gives out grace always, in every way, he gives to you. When you give, you cannot outgive God. Right. God, and then the last idea, it comes back to the rhythms of nature even. God is in charge of all things. So he makes the seed work with the dirt and mm-hmm. the air and the sun. And so when you give, God's, God's the God of giving. Right. He gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. He gave everything. We're not the people that need to be stingy or miserly or worried about it, but we're also not the people 
that pay a tax and manipulate and mm-hmm. use money to make sure we're okay. Mm-hmm. And we're actually free to be generous because we have the God of all generosity. Right. And then he ends with that. He will allow you to be generous in every way if you are generous. See, a lot of times we wait till we have enough to give. Like, right. oh, if I had a lot of money, I'd be generous. No, you wouldn't. Mm-mm. Because you're generous if you have no money and you're generous if you have a lot of money. It doesn't matter. You're either generous or you're not. You're not generous when money doesn't make you generous. Right, yeah, right. Nothing gen- makes you generous. Generosity comes from your heart. That's right. And not wh- from how much you have. Right, and that's the misconception. We all think, I'll start tithing when I yes. can pay these bills. Yeah, or exactly. And you'll never do it mm-hmm. because you'll never have enough money. True. And so that's why Paul is kind of not even teaching about giving. He's, te- he's actually addressing a real issue. Right. He's like, I'm actually going to come and collect this money you said you would give us. Right. I'm just reminding you of the commitment you mm-hmm. made, and it's really a great gift, and, he's, and it causes. See, the whole thing of generosity, you know what it causes? It produces thanksgiving. Yes. That's how yeah, it Yeah, because you, you begin, when you give and start to realize, like, oh, I... I don't have to save myself. I don't have right. to worry about having enough. And I'm free to give to others because I am now recognizing how much God gives to me. Thank you, God, for everything you've done for me. Everything. Well, I just had a thought, too. When you give, you know what you're actually doing? This is probably something I heard when I was a kid, but it's really true. When you're giving, you're simply making room for God to give you more. Yeah, I, yes. So if you don't want to give what you have, he's like, cool, you just don't have room for all I have for you right now? Mm-hmm. Good, you're good. You're good. Okay. <laughs> give and create room for God to give more because mm-hmm. it's God's grace that gives to us that then produces thanksgiving in us, in others, back to God. And that's why he has this kind of beautiful train of thought where it's glory to God, confession in the gospel, of the gospel, generosity to others, and then he ends with thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. That's where it all comes from. So Mm -hmm. like, whether to give or not to give, uh, the Bible's not going to command you or force you to give. Right. It's you, the only thing it's going to ask of you is to receive the inexpressible gift of God. Now, if that doesn't build up in you a desire to then share, then you just haven't fully experienced all of his gift yet. And so push into that Start realizing all that he's given you and an overflow of it will be with joy and cheerfully. Mm -hmm. You know what? I have plenty to give away. And in fact, that's kind of what my father does. I just think it's great that Paul's not teaching them about um, giving. He's teaching them about a commitment they made. Because we hear that a lot. People come to church. We do. And they feel filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're like, this is great. I'll be here next week. And I'll be in the band. And I'll give. And then you don't see him again. Ever. And it's, it's because human nature, you're in the moment, you know this is what you want, but we have a bad habit as humans not doing what the thing we actually want to do. Right. And that's what we call uh, growing into freedom. And freedom is being able to do the things you actually want to do, to mm-hmm. be the person you actually are. And it begins with receiving and submitting to God's glorious, inexpressible gift. Cool. Today I will be reading Psalm chapter 106, uh, verses 1 through 12. Praise the Lord. O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? 
Blessed are those who observe justice, who do righteousness at all times. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Both we and our fathers have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedness. Our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at the Red Sea. Yet he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and he led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe, and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries, and no one, no one of them was left. Then they believed his words, they sang his praise. Boom! You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. We'll talk to you next time.